there, everybody. Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick alongside me, walking you through the Leafs this week here with you until 2 o'clock. Of course, plenty to talk about in Leafsland. NHL All-Star festivities are in the books, which means we're headed into the second half, the unofficial second half of the season. So we'll have plenty on that across the league as well. But Gordo, how are you doing on this wonderful Sunday? I am doing great on this wonderful Sunday, and yeah, I saw a lot of all-star action that went on. I PVR'd some of it, but watched uh, some of it. I liked the skills on Friday. And Brent, bring it on. Bring on worthy opponents, starting with Carolina tomorrow. Let's bring on some of the stronger, stronger brothers and sisters of other NHL teams to take on our Toronto Maple Leafs. How about that? How about that? Uh, just ask Sheldon Keefe if you want to know how good uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are. And if you and if you don't believe him, just go look at the standings because because that'll confirm it. Yeah, well, you know, normally normally we start with a recap, but yeah, let's let's start there. Uh, you know, big big week coming up starting tomorrow against the Hurricanes. You know, we think back to when this team was in a completely different headspace, a completely different space in the standings, and of course, a different part of the season early on, and they got they got taken to the woodshed a bit by the Hurricanes, and Sheldon Keefe came out and said it afterwards, said, that's a Stanley Cup caliber team. If we want to be one of those, we have to look like that, and you know, you and I both jumped, it, it jumped out to both of us. Uh, that's supposed to be what the Leafs are like, so maybe it's another chance to kind of uh, run that back and see just how much of a Cup caliber team you are. Yeah, and we had Luke Fox on that day. I believe it was him anyway. Same thing, like it really jumped out. And, you know, first when we, we are looking ahead to look back, which we will. I mean, let's the down two goals to Detroit, one on the Saturday, uh, down two goals to New Jersey, one on the Monday, and then New Jersey, it just sucked everything out and they creamed the Devils on the Tuesday. So uh, those were the last three games, and that's why, you know, not just Car- Carolina, but later on going out west, the Calgary Flames, the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, you know, some real real worthy opponents. But the Carolina, like, like you're alluding to, Brent, it was interesting. Interesting that, you know, Sheldon Keefe picks his moments post-game. And we know last time he kind of walked it back a little bit after the Ranger game when, you know, is the team soft and all these kind of things. So he clarified that. But the first time was that Carolina game and kind of just said, yeah, you know, we almost acknowledging it was a weaker uh, Scotia North division without actually saying that last year and just said, hey, this is these are these are this is a whole different league if we want to play at that level. And it, it wasn't like he didn't believe in his team. He just had to remind them, you know, they kind of they'd stop the bleeding. You know, they'd won come back, won that game against Chicago. So the season that was the disaster wasn't at that point yet. They were starting to make some headway, but he just was a reminder. Guys, this is a gold standard team and you got to beat those. And they went out and did beat some of those teams along the way. But here we are back again against the team that Sheldon Keefe kind of held up as the gold standard that you got to play at a way better level than they played when they when they took on the Hurricanes earlier this year. Yeah, and you know, maybe maybe it's funny. The the team, I mean, obviously the players on the team have gotten a little better. Like a guy like Sebastian Ajo, he's a better player now than he was a year or two ago. But it felt like when the Hurricanes kind of burst onto the scene and they were doing their whole storm surge thing and some people were getting mad at it, some people thought it was great, I think there was a lot of, okay, but just what is this really? Like these aren't household names we're used to. You know, Rod Brindamore, we knew he was a great player. We didn't know he was a great coach. But now that we're two or three years into this run of, I mean, I mean, I don't know what other way to put it than than borderline excellence from from the Hurricanes. Like this is a real team that you cannot take lightly. Uh, of course, anytime they're in town, you know, there's a million other storylines. Of course, we think of Dave the David Ayers game. You throw in the fact that the two teams basically did a goalie trade this this off season with Freddie Anderson there and Peter Morazic here. There's just there there's so much to look to in a game like this. And then throw in the fact that you're back at home. I know we don't have the full the you know capacity fans in the building yet, but 
just the fact that it's back in Toronto. You know, I think another game, I, it just come into my mind. There was the Young Guns game these teams played. I think 8-6 was the final. These teams always, always play interesting games, so I'd imagine nothing short of that tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I, I expect and hope that to be the case. And, and you know, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are a great model. The most underrated general manager in the league in Don Waddell, who's done a phenomenal job with, with, with an owner that's, you know, that's an over-the-top owner. And so managing the owner and having the owner's respect is huge. And you look at them, tough decisions. Okay, Jeff Skinner, um, no, not going to sign you to the new deal. Basically, let's say give them. They got a little bit back from Buffalo, but that's proven, you know, correct. That was a good business decision. Dougie Hamilton, biggest free agent out there, uh, or arguably the biggest free agent out there last summer. But no problem, the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, they've got a they got a certain payroll, and he goes to the New Jersey Devils. And to your point, brand new goaltenders. Edmonton's trying to find a goaltender all the time. They <laughs> Carolina goes, okay, we're going to bring two new guys in, and uh, Freddie Anderson, as you mentioned, and Antti Ranta. And, you know, that's just astute management. You take a look at their, uh, if you ever want to look at their team player salaries, man, they're, they're in a great position. They're in a great position. They're kind of like the Boston Bruins, you know, who have, you know, guys that have bought into a, uh, not a cap, well, I don't want to call it a cap system, but a team-oriented system. And, uh, and, and they're, they're looking great that way. Well, I think the other thing that that a team like her uh, that the Hurricanes have going for them, and you know, you mentioned this with the Bruins, is that and and again, like these, they they have a ton of extremely extremely talented players in there. Like I, I mentioned, Aho Worley, of course, Andre Svechnikov is another guy there. But I think the thing is, is that they don't have the guy who is at the absolute top of the pile. There is no ten million dollar man there. Now, some of that's buy in, some of that's kind of hitting your deals at the right point. But you know, that's that's what always worked out so well for. Boston was that you know for the longest time Patrice Bergeron was basically the effective cap there for an individual player and you know he was making seven or eight so the fact that you're not having guys go and be of that now you know uh, Pasternak's got paid Marchand's got paid like I I get it but it does kind of you know it does ask a bit of a question about are you better off kind of having maybe not the true super duper duper star and kind of building with this cast of characters because that's exactly what they've done you know you mentioned the the Oilers are looking for goaltending you know look Zach Hyman I would never ever begrudge him I'm so happy that he got paid his money but if you could go to the Oilers right now and say would you rather have which ex-leaf would you rather have this year would it be Freddie Anderson or Zach Hyman it's not even close now obviously you know goaltending is a team thing it's not just one guy but yeah I mean you mentioned it there there were goalies out there the Hurricanes grabbed two of them so I like that that's the thing that jumps to mind to me when you mentioned the Oilers and the Hurricanes there is if they could have one ex-leaf I, I think it'd be Anderson I don't know that it would be Hyman well and then and then you know we look at the D and this is where the Leafs are, are you know trying to develop depth on D uh Carolina is able able to let Dougie Hamilton go. Uh, Jake Gardner's out the whole season. Probably his career is done. But you got Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, uh, and they're all locked up for a few years. And you know, I, I mean, the Leaf D really isn't overpaid either. But but you're able to go because you've got such a great structure in place and get a bargain basement Anthony D'Angelo, who's killing it. Right, one year, mm-hmm. one million dollar contract. He'll be an RFA, so you'll still control his rights after that. He was the prob- He was a problem with the New York Rangers. And, you know, there was uh, there was substantial stuff 
about him, how much was fact, how much was fiction, who knows. But certainly he was, uh, he, he came with baggage, to use that word. And uh, this second chance or third chance or whatever chance it is, uh, he appears to really be capitalizing on it. And that's what, that's what strong teams with a strong structure are able to, to do. And I would have to give, if all's going well with D'Angelo, like some credit for him for maturing as well and learning from his ways. Well, it feels to me like, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the D'Angelo thing, and, and obviously these are completely different scenarios, but I'll lump this guy in there as well. And yes, Barry Cock and Yemi, and I think that this is one of the benefits for them in playing in a quieter market. Yes, they got some pub now. We all talk about how good they are. But, you know, if Tony and the Leafs were never going to do this, but if Tony D'Angelo came to Toronto on a one-year deal, his behavior, what everything that happened in the past, it would be a constant firestorm. And, hey, it's entirely possible you can play good hockey with that going on around you but it's also entirely possible that it just doesn't kind of you know it it can kind of eat you and and weigh at you and you know you don't have the season you have and then I think of a guy like Kakanyemi if if the and again they were never in a position to do this it was never going to happen but if this is in a bigger market where you sign a guy to a 6.1 million dollar offer sheet and he's got 20 points so far this season that is a massive massive story now I know there was more going into that but it's just that's part of the benefit and good on them The, the Hurricanes can only take advantage they don't have the wallet that the Leafs do, but they can take advantage of the other advantages they have. And I feel like playing in a quiet market is one of them because just those two stories there, like, can you imagine if either one of those things was happening in Toronto, we'd we'd never stop talking about it. And not that it completely goes under the radar in Carolina, but it's just, it's not nearly as front of mind. Yeah, yeah. And I, again, we always are sometimes a little hard on ourselves in Toronto about that, but because I think there is an element where people can, you know, forgive and you move on. But, uh, but I, I, I do agree with you that a quieter market, in D'Angelo's case, rather than not just Toronto, but, a, say, a Canadian market, or, uh, and of course, he was in New York, which is yeah. also <laughs> a big market, that this, this, this works out really, really nice. But, and the other one was the year before, just trade deadline deal, getting Brady Shea, you know, off the New York Rangers, right? You know, uh, looking ahead to Dougie Hamilton going and, uh, and, and making that deal, I guess, a couple of years ago, but just, you know, those kind of little deals. Those kind, and to me, that's where... I mean, that was a real hockey trade. That wasn't so much a hired gun. But that's what the Leafs are going to be looking for, trade deadline. Maybe Carolina is too. I mean, everyone's going to be looking for some some depth defensemen because if you're looking to win 16 playoff games and Carolina's looking to, and so are the Toronto Maple Leafs, you've got to win four first. I know that. But, you know, that's what you're looking for. Um, then, you know, you've, you've got to add, you've got to look to hopefully add to your depth on D, and that's going to be another intriguing part of the weeks coming up. You know, the, the trade deadline, it's sexy. Everyone thinks uh, instant, instant improvement for your team. And we learned a hard lesson last year that Nick Felino, who – uh, I can't criticize the Leafs uh, one iota for acquiring him, but, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. And, um, and with injuries or other things, the player isn't able to do that. Yeah, no, that, that trade did not work out remotely. You know, you mentioned the Brady Shea trade for, for the Hurricanes that they made there. And it's actually, it, it reminds me a lot, I, I, I know it's a little bit different, but it actually reminds me a lot of the move the Blues made, and I know they were able to win a cup with this player, so it's very different, but they made bringing in Justin Falk. You got to pay him when he comes in, and you're basically sitting there going, but Alex Petrangelo is walking in, in free agency. If you had that money, you could have just given it to him. And it feels like kind of a similar situation there with, with what's going on in, in in acquiring the you know Shea and letting letting Hamilton walk it's you know these are tough tough decisions to make clearly it's working out uh, in in spades so so far for the Hurricanes uh, what one last kind of point on them you know this is one of those things that some people will never ever be able to forget this player so it's uh you, you know we talk a lot about the rookies we talk about 
about the rookies in Detroit this year, but there's a guy for the Hurricanes having an incredible season, and it's Seth Jarvis. Uh, so far, he's got 18 points in 33 games. You love that for a rookie. Uh, what you don't love is that that's the pick the Leafs dealt to the Hurricanes to get rid of the Patrick Marlowe contract. You know, uh, it, it, well, some people will never, ever think about that. Other people will never, ever forget it. And uh, with him coming to town uh, tomorrow night, uh, I'd imagine that'll be a bit of a storyline as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and boy, you bring up Justin Falk. I mean, there's another guy a few years ago, as you mentioned, that payroll-wise, I mean, what a stud on D, and, and they make a trade that, you know, really just gets some Joel Edmondson, and then they flip Edmondson for what was the third-round pick, I think, later to Montreal. Yeah, so. But uh, Yeah, yeah, just being it. But, but yeah, the Seth Jarvis one, and again, I, I don't criticize at all getting Patrick Marlowe. You didn't know John Tavares was going to come the next year right and then all of a sudden that just you know changed the dynamics and put them up hard up against the cap but that's the other part is the Carolina Hurricanes and what Seattle can do or what Arizona's trying to do and that but when you have cap space which I think they still do in Carolina but not as much as they did before you can all of a sudden go yeah give me your give me your bad contract and a first round pick and everything's taken care of and now we got a Seth Jarvis who of course is on a very nice entry level contract year one. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, it matters for every team. But, uh, man, could you imagine having that guy uh, in the fold here? I know. Ifs, buts, candies, and nuts. There's some saying there. Uh, yeah, just looking at the, the Hurricanes cap sheet there. Uh, they, they've got about a, a couple million bucks to play around with at the deadline. Uh, you know, uh, the cap geeks uh, smarter than me can figure out who you can slide in there. Because two million bucks at the deadline isn't really uh, two million bucks on the cap. It's always fun uh, to see how the pieces uh, ki- kind of fit in there. Uh, just just jumping back to the Leafs. Uh, loved, loved our little Hurricanes breakdown there. I didn't. I didn't know I had that many Hurricanes thoughts. I know you do. You know you're such a you're such a stalwart in in this media game here, Gord. I didn't know I had that many thoughts on them. Uh, in in terms of the Leaf, let, let's just kind of jump back uh, to to the week that was before we preview the other uh, the other two games and and look at the the NHL All Star break. There, uh, comeback win against Detroit, not pretty, but you'll take it. And then I think that that's a pretty fair assessment of the next game against the Devils, uh, not pretty, but you'll take it. And then they finish off head into the All Star break uh, with a solid solid win on the road in New Jersey. I think you you know if you're if you're grading it like a painting maybe you don't love it but uh 6 points out of 6 points I don't think you can sneeze at that. No, and we go back and we do, of course, do Leafs Nation post-game, and we're saying, okay, this is weird. We're getting picky about games you won. And really, <laughs> that's at the end of the day, you're supposed to win the games. Like, uh, uh, one more win against Montreal, we would take it. The ugliest, <laughs> ugliest win going would be great. We'd forget about the ugliness of the win and would have taken it to get to the next round of the playoffs. So so we always say we're, we're, we're careful uh, not to get that picky because um, we, every, everyone's dying for their team to win, whoever they cheer for. And we assume people listening are cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, yeah, six out of six points. But, you know, little things about the um, tenancy the last or, uh, the last number of weeks, and part of it is not getting outstanding goaltending. So you're trying to think, okay, what is the team like when you don't get outstanding goaltending all the time? Because most teams don't get outstanding goaltending every game, and so some concerns there. But then you also said, well, they found a way to come back and win the games. And then Tuesday, and again, like I, I said, the Devils, that killed the Monday. You know, you're having a terrible season like they are, and you have a win, and then it gets snatched from you. Then you play the Leafs again the next day. Uh, it's just like the stuffing had been taken out of them that previous night. But good on the Maple Leafs for going for, going for the juggler early in that game against the Devils. And as a matter of fact, our guy Stevie Fellin, stats whiz, uh, four goals in the first period, and the Leafs had never scored five goals on the road in the first period in a road game ever. 
you know, and they're an original six team. So it just showed what kind of jump they had uh, to put it in context and perspective in New Jersey. And you could kind of sit back and we, you know, just do, do our stuff on the air and prepare and, and, and relax. And the post game show, you're not uh, on pins and needles, which you like to be sometimes about, you know, the game being tied, going down to the final minutes, whatever. This one was um, a laugher, except for those devil fans who were not laughing uh, in the arena. What a terrible way to lose at home. Yeah, no, poor, poor David Putty of uh, Seinfeld fame, probably crying, uh, melting the paint off his face there uh, watching that one. And, and yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned the five goal. That would have been a record. Sandine inches away. He had the one-timer right at the tail end of the period there that that would have set the record. And anytime you're doing something as an original six franchise that you've never won, uh, that, is, that is pretty good. You know, we, we keep saying, I mentioned it, uh, six to six points in that stretch. It's actually 10 of 10 points. They've won five straight. It's the longest streak, or sorry, the second longest active streak in the NHL right now only the wilder excuse me and only the wilder hotter and I think that that exactly it's what you say you know when we're sitting here nitpicking for a team that's won five straight that have the second longest win streak in the NHL I think it just kind of proves exactly how much this thing got back on the rails because you know it seems a little silly to think now but man you go back to that that stretch for the first you know 10-ish games of the season and man it, it was kind of it was a little hard to envision a group absolutely rolling like this so credit to the team credit to Keith, definitely credit to the goaltending at times for for getting them back on track you know if, if we are going to nitpick and I, I think sometimes you have to it you know, with the leads kind of melting away as of late, the two big kind of things you can point to of that is you can say, well, they haven't been getting Vesna level goaltending and that's what happens or team defense has slipped a little bit and that's why the goaltending doesn't look as special. If if I if you have to point the finger more at one of those things, to, to me, it feels like team defense is, the goaltending has definitely slipped, but it feels like the team defense has just got a little less tight late in games and I think that that's something that teams tighten throughout the season. So I don't know that that's as big a concern to me as if, you know, a guy like Jack Campbell just fell off a cliff, which is which I don't think has happened. No, and, you know, just the different uh, ups and downs of the season. And there was that steady streak where defense, I mean, they were winning games like 3-2 and, and 2-1. Yep. And, and uh, you said, okay, two things. One was the buy-in to team defense and also the depth of the team. And it was there was quality goaltending then as well. What I've liked about this streak more than anything is Mitch Marner. This has just been... Uh, and it's not like Mitch Marner being critical about his season or what have you, but just about being that guy. You know, him him and Matthews being the dynamic duo. Like, he, the, you just visually you hadn't seen. And, and statistically, he's always there. Like, statistically, those assists in particular, you know, he has them. But it's just that... You know, the, the Mitch Marner who takes you out of your seat a couple of times every game with what he does, his speed and skill, and you saw more of that. And also what everyone's been clamoring for, uh, all us amateur coaches, about <laughs> shoot a bit. And so all of a sudden, not just being the assist guy, he's shooting on net. And, and it, was a, it was a constructive observation that teams were basically knowing Marner was not going to shoot on the power play. I mean, they were almost overplaying it a bit to the the pass because that's what he did 100% of the time. So I've really, that's what I've really enjoyed in this five-game win streak. Well, and it's amazing. It's amazing what confidence can do for a player, right? And, you know, we, we think about that with guys. More, I think a lot of times when people think about that, they think of guys a little further down the lineup. They think of Pierre Engvall needing to feel confident to play or Ilya Mikheyev. How much does the puck finally going in kind of boost his spirits and let him be the best version of himself? But it matters a lot for the guys at the top, top end of the spectrum as well. You know, you, you look at this run he's gone on, and I'm just looking at kind of going back to the start of, of January now. He 
in in nine games, he's got 16 points. Like, it's incredible. He's at two points a game throughout the stretch. The fact that, you know, the puck starts going in for him. Yes, he's a sit-up set up man. Yes, that's what he loves to do. But at the end of the day, when the puck's going in for you, it can only help you feel good. And the thing about it is this team needs him, needs this version of Mitch Marner to, to be at its best. You know, William Nylander, for, for all of the love I constantly pour on him, this team can get by with him being a little sleepy. And I don't want to accuse him of that because I think he's been tremendous this year. But at times, he can be that way, and this team can survive with that. But when a guy like Marner just doesn't have that jump and he's involved in so much of the offense, he's involved in so much of the game plan, it really eats away at, at, at the team and what they're able to accomplish. So it's it's not at all an accident to me that the Leafs have had one of their best stretches of hockey when that guy's looking at his best. I, I still think Matthews is the most important Leaf, but I, I don't know that... A, that I don't know that, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's just his bad nights aren't as bad as Mitch's bad nights. And he hasn't had a single one lately. I'm talking about Marner, and, and that's why the teams look the way it has. Yeah, boy, Nylander keeps doing those great uh, insurance commercials, too, showing his personality. I don't know how many <laughs> years, but they're, they're pretty It has good. been a long run of them. He's yeah. been eating pasta. He's shooting pucks at the glass this year. Yeah. And so the... The team MVP at the halfway point, and um, I don't. We can take turns who goes first, but mine, uh, mine might have been uh, uh, might have been Jack Campbell for a while. Now it's Austin Matthews, and you know, you, and and to your point as well about. Uh, but Pierre Engvall or someone like that getting confidence. I mean, he's at a different level than Mitch Marner, the expectations, but the same type of thing, like you mentioned, that you want them to be, you know, confident in, in playing at that level that, you know, you expect him to play at and has played at, which is a very different level than, say, Engvall and others. But um, I've loved the continued evolution of Austin Matthews. I, I, I really think the young leadership group, and I'm not in there uh, about who, who does what, but last year a lot of veterans were brought in like the Joe Thorntons to provide veteran leadership, and I kept thinking like, wait, you gave all these other guys, young guys, these A's, and, and uh, what's, what's the issue there? And I, I, think, I think the young leadership, I give them a lot of credit about getting them out of that hole, and I, I'm just liking Austin Matthews off the ice, kind of getting comfortable and kind of getting it, kind of getting it about being a, a superstar in the NHL, about being larger than life with the Toronto Maple Leafs, about appreciating what Toronto is as a hockey city and all these kinds of things and about having some fun and giving some good answers and showing a real real kind of personal side about it, a, mat- a maturing thing on and off the ice. And, and even at the All-Star game, that was a fun one, playing blackjack. All of them got 21, huh? They all got That's 21, right. so it went to a shootout, the five of them that were uh, on uh, uh, on the strip of Vegas and shooting at cards, uh, oversized cards, uh, Stamkos, Pavelski, Kadri, him. <laughs> I forget the fifth. Anyway, but uh, I, that's one thing. He's my MVP, but I've, I've really like what I've seen on and off the ice, the, the continued growth. Yeah, quick quick mention about the the blackjack game that got played at. Uh, well, I'm, actually, I should clarify. I'm sure there were many a blackjack game played at the uh, the NHL All Star. I'm talking about the the league sanctioned one that involved guys shooting bucks at cards. And uh, you mentioned Stamkos was in there. Kachuk was the uh, was the fifth guy there. There, but you mentioned Stamkos, and you know it's funny. We all thought he was coming here. We all remember the summer, and I remember they they asked him a question: Why'd you shoot at that card? And he snapped back because I've lived in Tampa for 14 years, and it is freezing cold outside and all i could think there is oh yeah he was never coming home there was if vegas if vegas in in february is too cold for him there is not a chance stamkos was uh was coming back but yeah i i agree with you i really like that event you know in terms of matthews 
he to me I was sitting here I'm trying to make the case for Jack Campbell and I don't think it's that hard when the team had not found their sea legs yet he was the guy who allowed them time to kind of find what they were and become that defensive unit and then even when they kept playing that way he just found a way to raise his game but I so often lately have been watching Matthews and you just see the 200 foot game and who he is in his defensive zone and the, the, his ability to win draws, his ability to win puck battles. And look, I know we all talk about the guy in Edmonton, 97. He's as talented as it gets. He's as fast as a, a speeding bullet, all that stuff. We know McKinnon's special, but more, more often than not, when I'm watching Matthews, I, I'm not sitting here saying he's the best, but I just have a hard time believing there's somebody better. The, his game is so complete. And then you throw in the fact that he's the best goal scorer on the planet, not named Alex Ovechkin, because I think we have to let him have it until he slows down. It's just that's the thing that jumps out to me about Matthews is just he he is everything you could ask for as a center and or sorry, as a goal scorer. And he is a rock solid two way center. He like he's not Patrice Bergeron. He's not Ryan O'Reilly. But whatever the class is kind of beneath those guys, he's right there for me. And that's what that's what makes him so special. Yeah, and I'm going to flip back to the guy you talked about, Jack Campbell, because, uh, I mean, that's what we do on Sundays. It's just like regular people chatting Leafs or hockey. But uh, we, we kidded that everyone should have a sibling like Jack Campbell when you're a kid that takes the blame for everything. Take the blame. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's part of when you're a kid, the arguing with your parents about, no, my brother Bob did this, or no, my sister Karen did this, or whatever it may be. And <laughs> Jack Campbell, like he really, like you know, for whatever number of games, he was the MVP, he was the best things about best thing about the Leafs, and uh, won some games for them uh, during a stretch where they had no business. And then, when, even then, he would take blame for whatever the slightest little snafu, and then when he, when it goes south, man, oh man! And some there, there there's a, a mentality out there. A lot of people say, "Geez, I you know I, he's so hard on himself," and you know, wish he'd stop doing that. But I'm saying, hey, he's never played better, so maybe that's part of maybe that's part of what he's decided that's helped make him successful. Is just you know whether it's having the weight of the world on his shoulders or more just um, just just taking 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 the hit for everybody and everything and moving on with it. I don't know. Oh, a sibling, a coworker. We we'd love people who take the blame like that in all all walks uh, of our life. I have to be. I my biggest concern for Campbell, and I'm half joking, is that I hope he dialed down the expectations for himself heading into the past couple days in Vegas. They're literally all the best players in the world. It's not the best players in the world in the NHL, or not just the the best players who are in the NHL. It's the best of those guys, Jack. So I hope he was able to kind of take it all in stride. You know, I'll be honest. You know me, Gordo. I'm a big worry ward I'm constantly concerned about things I was convinced he was going to have some groin pull or something there now that we're all through it and he's healthy I have to say of all the guys at all-star weekend and look Matthew seemed to have a blast you know he's going to go to a million of those things and not say Jack Campbell won't be back again I'm not saying that by any means but you have to be happy for a guy like that you know it's cool for the young players like if you're a 21 year old who you know I I think of uh, you know the Hughes brothers who are there that's got to be so cool for them at such a young age but for a guy like Campbell who probably felt like he was on this track the whole time to finally finally make it I I can't imagine there's many guys that his age that really appreciate the all-star festivities like he he had to have yeah no and and you know there's the ones and uh, alexander ovechkin i mean here's ovi that now he's the last guy that got caught with the testing protocol which will no longer exist after the all-star break now um there will no longer be daily covid testing if you're asymptomatic and you're double vaxxed right 
Yep. Ovi was the last one, and he was so looking forward to it. He's the one that's taken an All-Star game off before, but because uh, there had been no All-Star game last year, being in Las Vegas and that, so that's what they were talking about. Like, even the ones that go all the time, they were really looking forward to it, but it's always, always neat to see someone uh, who probably started the season you don't, you don't expect um, to be there and is there, and Jack Campbell was certainly one of those. Yeah, he was. Uh, luckily, Ovi there. I don't know if in spirit, but uh, in imitation anyways. Uh, Kaprizov with the great uh, Ovechkin tribute there. Uh, throwing on the jersey. I saw he had the wax laces. He had the big, big pant back there. Uh, of course, he threw the sunglasses on. It was uh, that, that was a great little uh, bit of showmanship from him. Uh, fun, fun weekend for the NHL in Vegas. Also, as we've said, a busy week coming up for the Leafs, plus a little Marley's action. Yes, there was something important that happened in a Marley's game. I will tell you about it before we finish up, uh, we got about a half hour left in the Leafs this week. Brent Gunning with Gord Stellick alongside me. Keep listening on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. The Leafs this week. Brent Cunning, Gord Stellick alongside me recapping the week that was, looking ahead to a busy week. Yes, we're actually going to have busy weeks in Leafland. And Gordon, I keep mentioning it. I have to keep saying it so that the league doesn't change their mind. In a little less than two months' time from now, the Leafs and Panthers will actually play a hockey game Say what? against each other. I know, I know, Are Gord. They in the same I know. division? Apparently. I it was like the American League and National League and baseball. Even they have right. interleague baseball, so I don't That's know right. what it was like. I yeah, don't know. Who, saw, wow. who's, who saw more of who this year? Like the Jays and Pirates or the Leafs and Panthers inside their own division? Honestly, great, great question, Gord. <laughs> well, you know, and this is part of what I like is uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of playoff teams they're going to face, and so even this week taking on now Calgary and Vancouver were not playoff teams last year, but they're exciting teams to uh, go against right now. And uh, I'm like last I was sick of them last year with the Canadian division. We both were, uh, and so I got got to say now it has some appeal when you're only seeing them twice a year the Canucks and the Calgary Flames. So after they play Carolina, they head out They head out west. And then, as you mentioned, later on, they're going to have a whack of uh, Atlantic Division games against arch rivals and the Florida Panthers. And it's been every year. I don't think people really notice it. It's funny. There's some kind of template to yep. the schedule that if you look year after year, there's a commonality. Like the Chicago Blackhawk game is always uh, in, like, early December, late November. Yep. You know, what? whatever. There's just... And the Florida Panthers are a team the Leafs don't play till the end of the season. Like it's um, the schedule maker picks it up and uses that template in a lot of ways to do the next year's schedule. So I'm really looking forward to these uh, Panther Toronto Maple Leaf games big time. Let me put on my conspiracy theory hat. Do the Panthers not want those games in the winter because it's all snowbirds down there? Like, I, I know Leafs fans travel at any time of year, but, I mean, if you were the Panthers and you could pick when you have a home date against the Leafs and you could have it in November or, like, March or April, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty easy choice. Like, you'd rather have it in, in March. I don't know that the league, you know, lets them have a say in all that, but, I mean, if the Panthers could decide, I imagine that's the way they would want it. Well, yeah, but it's also the games in Toronto as well that are, are late. It's true. It's not even, but uh, the, generally what had gone on is um, you control your home dates, and it used to be you put 50 preferred dates and then 20 alternate home dates. So there's not, you know, and then, and then there's some massaging after. Like they'll, when you get down the nitty-gritty, there might be you can pitch some changes and, uh, um, you know, you can do some flips with the, with the um, 
permission of the the league office doing that. But uh, uh, they try to fit those fifty preferred dates. And and you're right, teams so teams that struggle to get uh, uh, attendance try to try to pick optimal whatever. I don't I don't know what Arizona picks. I mean I don't know what it would be, but <laughs> try to pick a, a optimal places. But they can't control the team that's coming in. Well, Arizona will just have to, uh, well, I was going to say avoid Frosh Week, but maybe that's the time because they're going to be playing at a, a college arena potentially next year. Seating 5,000. Man, uh, uh, that, uh, that doesn't exactly feel uh, like the NHL. Maybe we'll park that for, for another day. Uh, you know, you mentioned the two games coming up this week, uh, Calgary on Wednesday, Vancouver Saturday. I actually want to start with the Canucks because you mentioned how sick you were of seeing all these Canadian teams last year. I think I was the most sick of the Canucks. The Leafs had two bad injuries there. Uh, Zach Hyman with the hit on Edler. Now, Hyman, actually, if memory serves me correct, it looked like it could have been a lot worse. He only missed uh, a couple of weeks. And then, of course, Simmons broke his hand in the end of, I think it was a 5-1 game, and he had already scored a couple, and it felt like he was really rolling. And honestly, Simmons was not the same guy last year after kind of coming back from that. So you you mentioned being sick of all the Canadian teams. Yes, I think the Canucks were the group I was the most sick of seeing. So uh, it'll be nice to actually enjoy the game. And that's uh, Saturday at 7 o'clock, which you know will have the people of Vancouver so excited to be playing at 7 p.m. Eastern. It's their uh, their favorite thing to complain about uh, in in the NHL. Well, I, I kid about it because years ago when I was doing the, the big show on the fan, which was on 1 p.m. till 4 p.m. And, now uh, this we, is the big show. Yes, this is the big show now. But we had uh, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, a guy named Brian Burke, on. And, oh, uh, heard of him. and the Leafs are playing the Canucks uh, on the Saturday coming up, like just like, like we're talking. And, of course, Berkey at the end gives a smart-ass line about, yeah, well, of course, it's going to be 4 <laughs> o'clock our time because we've got to satisfy everybody in the East. you know. And then he, well, how many years later is he GM of the Toronto Maple yes, Leafs? Sir. But, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, in a lot, actually... It's funny you were. T- I think you were talking about that as well. We t- just if when you are out west somewhere, it is kind of neat to have all the sports done, and you can go out later on. You know, I don't know if I'd want it all the time like that, but there's you know Sunday you wake up and remember my buddy out there when I'm visiting him decades ago when you're watching NFL football early, and you know it's uh, so there's uh, there's some there's some positives to be said for that as well. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want it all the time, but that's yeah, that's a, that's a great schedule. You got NFL football at night, nine o'clock. Your hockey's wrapped up by seven o'clock. You can go out to dinner. You can have a you can have a whole a whole day after uh, or a whole night, I guess after uh, after the game. So yeah, uh, I I don't have an issue with it. I could see how if it was all the time, uh, maybe maybe you wouldn't like it as much. But yeah, West Coast, uh, it, it sure is different. Uh, the other team, of course, we we uh, we went on ad nauseum uh, again. I'm surprised we had that much on the Hurricanes uh, to start the show uh that's the first game of the week for the Leafs that's tomorrow uh that'll be at home uh Wednesday on the road in Calgary so of course the game against Calgary the game against the Canucks I believe these were games that they were these are the makeup games from when they were supposed to be of course they were out there in Edmonton and then then COVID kind of hit and everything uh kind of got shut down so I mean you know the Flames uh talented team we we know they are it's a team that's really kind of found at sea legs this year Johnny Goudreau bouncing back in a big way you know we know about Kachuk uh the Leafs have already ran into one of their hot goals goalies this year uh, so we'll see who it ends up getting the stars whether it be uh, later or, or, or Markstrom there but I mean the Flames nothing to sneeze at uh, they, they've definitely kind of bounced back and been more of the team they thought they were going to be this year yeah well you know in Calgary Vancouver I mean it was 
Think about last year when they started the playoffs and they had to finish out the regular season that Calgary oh, and Vancouver terrible, yeah. <laughs> played meaningless games as the playoffs started. So, you know, good on them. I mean, Daryl Sutter has done a phenomenal job. They have totally, totally bought into his system. The Calgary Flames have. And then, you know, Bruce Boudreau, everybody's buddy, everybody's favorite. Uh, they've bought into, uh, let's say, his system, but just his style taking over midseason. So um, these are two entertaining teams and there's always always tough tickets to get because they only come to town once and there's always so many fans and I know it's not the Leafs in town they're going out there but just you know fans that uh, are fans of other Canadian based teams so I always look forward to these yeah it's always always fun uh something we've been looking forward to uh for a while and uh just getting confirmation of this I'm watching it happen right now Jake Muzzin on the ice, returning to practice following the All-Star break, and he is in a regular jersey. This is not the uh, non-contact jersey that we've seen him wearing in the past. Uh, you know, who knows if he's back potentially tomorrow for, for the game against the Hurricanes, but you know, this is a guy who, he's been a stalwart for this team in years past. It has been far from the season he wanted to. You would hope, uh, you know, who knows, maybe this is wishful thinking, but you'd hope the time off, the rest, the injury allows him to just kind of reset because J- Jake Muzzin can play better hockey than he's shown this year and I I think even he'd tell you that and if this team is going to go on a run he is going to be a big big part of it because we know Riley and Brody are are the team's top pair but but they need Muzzin to be the kind of fulcrum of that second pair whoever it is that that ends up alongside him after the trade deadline yeah you know chatting with Nick Kiprios before we're kind of wondering about um uh whether like, did Sheldon Keith think he could play and, and was kind of surprised he didn't play? We're, you know, we're trying to get the read. But I think um, a lot of ways that if you have uh, – if you got that all-star break, it's a good little cushion, you know, to to better safe than sorry and miss another game or two knowing you've got a full week afterwards for, you know, whatever the issue was. We didn't know if there's a concussion element to as well, which always makes it uh, a little bit more complicated. So that's great to see. You know, just uh, he's a frontline defenseman and healthy frontline defenseman. You can't have enough of them. No, you you can't. And, and that's going to be the thing that I think is going to be one of the big question marks for for this team kind of into the second half is just what does that second pair look like you know him and him and Hall were great last year and it's it's not been the year i think if there is a trade to be made for a defenseman it's it's entirely possible it's somebody who uh it's somebody who could kind of slide in potentially alongside Muzzin you know right shot d how long have we heard that uh well across the league but definitely in this market as well uh leafs have uh, well plenty of time to to figure that out uh trade deadline not until march 21st this year i guess the the question for the Leafs heading into the deadline and you know this is all speculation it's all guessing and you know I'm sure part of it is well just how good is the team is you know there's been a lot of talk about players not being happy coming into Canada because of the restrictions you know we know Canada is often a popular place to kind of be on teams no move or no trade list Uh, I'll be be curious to see how that comes into play you know we know Josh Manson's a name this team's been after forever there's been some reports out there that that maybe he has the Leafs uh, on a list to block a trade that that's going to be something I'm going to be watching uh, closely heading into the to the deadline is is just how much that kind of plays a factor in what the Leafs want to do. Well, okay, let's talk about a couple of things here because you know um, surprise team in the NHL for me. Um, there's different kinds of surprise, like the Pittsburgh Penguins, the way they started the season with all the injuries. Uh, uh, I rated as a surprise, but the Anaheim Ducks are a team that I've just been flat out surprised with. Pat Verbeek, they name him general manager uh, this past week, leaving uh, Steve Eiserman's assistant to run the Ducks now. And um, I, so 
Josh Manson now in these trades, right? They, they've got Ricard Raquel. They've got a few Hampus Lindholm. Yeah. And now you're wondering about the trade deadline, about teams that you probably thought were going to be sellers and would have the Josh Mansons, you know, would be more amenable to trading a Josh Manson now. If you're, if you're look, looking to make the playoffs, which is very realistic for them right now, then you, you, you really can't deplete your team, if, you know, to go on a run. So if there's, there could be a little bit of rejigging about who the sellers are uh, and, you know, a different look. Like all of a sudden the New York Islanders and Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers, a big one, you know, as far as being a seller. But so we'll see what gets. But it's funny, Josh Manson's name is out there, but that I keep looking as long as the Anaheim Ducks are having success, unless it's a hockey trade for something, like a real hockey trade, not like a trade deadline deal uh, for an expiring contract or a contract with little term for futures. Um, I, I, I can't see them moving him, but we'll have to see. Well, and Verbeek has come out and said uh, that, that part of the thing that intrigues him about the Ducks' job is that it's not a rebuild. It's it's kind of tooling on the fly. So it's not somebody who wants to come in there and kind of, you know, tear things down to the ground and, and go all in on Zegris and Drysdale and uh, and Terry that they, they've got there. So I, I, I agree with you. I think you probably step a little bit back. And then the, the thing is, is the one name that maybe does move is Lindholm because you can't let him walk for nothing. But that's probably, you know, too rich for the Leafs, both in terms of, of budget price and, and prospect price. So we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. You know, I'll throw my two surprise teams. I have one at the, the top of the league and one at the bottom. I'm shocked by what the Wild are. Good team, solid team. Uh, I thought all of that with the with the big changes they went in with the huge buyouts this year. I just didn't think I didn't think it'd be a nightmare year for them. I didn't think they'd have the dream season they're having. So so they're maybe the, my biggest surprise at the kind of top of the league. And then you, the other one is the team you mentioned. I've been misreading Philly wrong for it feels like the past five years. The years they're good, I expect them to be bad. The years they're bad, I expect them to be good. You know, I felt like Carter Hart was going to be the guy. I felt like they kind of shake shaken up. That that defense just enough to kind of give it a new look. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. So yeah, th- those are my kind of two big surprise teams there. Um, you know, it, I, I threw this on the lineup as well. It's funny. I, I'm just thinking of it now. You know, Pat Verbeek is GM of the Ducks, and that's that's as appealing a job as there is. They have a ton of young talent. It's a really good team. You know, Chicago's searching for a GM, and when I say it's an unenviable job, I'm not even talking about all the stuff swirling around the organization right now. That makes it tough and unappealing in its own way. But do you really want to be the guy who comes into town and has to potentially trade Patrick Kane or, or let him walk? Do you want to be the guy who has to come in and make the decision on Jonathan Taves? If you thread that needle perfectly, you'll you'll be a hero forever. But man, it, it, it's it's one thing to build up an organization, but being the person who has to kind of oversee the ends of careers of franchise icons, if you do it well, good on you. But man, that's that is a tough kind of needle to thread. Well, yeah, but it's the business side, it's the reality side, and you you know you look at whatever uh, relationship um, it goes above uh, the general manager in some ways about the relationship and and the uh, um, affection, mutual affection. You've won three Stanley Cups together. I I mean, there are two different cases that Jonathan Taves is going to be, and you know you can who can uh, you know Captain Serious and what a leader he was, but uh, he's he's a guy that's. That that's a no-brainer about certainly you know kind of like Ryan Getzlaff having to take mm-hmm. kind of a Ryan Getzlaff type deal if he, like he did in Anaheim for uh, for Taves to stay in Chicago. 
Patrick Kane's still killing it, though. I mean, Patrick Kane is, you know, even with a bad Chicago Blackhawk team, he's still the Patrick Kane. But uh, I, I think uh, uh, really uh, whoever – it seems like a lot of uh, – you know, it's funny leading towards Kyle Davidson, maybe the interim guy to stay put. But uh, uh, I, I, I know what you mean, but there's enough separation now from the Stanley Cups and an understanding – that and also you gave up a lot for Seth Jones, man. You don't you don't have your first round pick, and Columbus has that. And with the Black the Blackhawks, if if it, if it's a lottery pick, and somehow the Hawks name, well, it can't be first or second. So that's the only thing uh, that's protected. But if they, you know, if they're like five through ten, I think it's about ninth or tenth right now. That's going to be a nice pickup for Columbus, along with the one that they have. Yeah, it really will. Uh, anytime you can get a, a another uh, top 10 pick to throw in there, because, of course, they got Bulkfist in that deal as well, and I think he was 10 or 11, somewhere somewhere in around there in his draft year. So, uh, yeah, Blue Jackets uh, taking the long road, but uh, I, I think they, I think, I think we'd say, uh, especially if that pick lands where it's going to and they hit on it, uh, looks like they've done just fine in, uh, in the Seth, Drain, uh, Seth Jones trade uh, so far. One last thing on the All-Star game I wanted to throw at you, and I know this is a pie-in-the-sky idea. I understand the planning for these things things takes a million years and you can't just pivot quickly but without the NHLers at the Olympics I would have loved to have seen the old North America versus the world all-star format I feel like we did that I feel like it might have been that the year it was here in Toronto in the 2000s I loved that format I understand why you want to shake it up I guess three on three makes it a little more difficult but it just felt like with the NHLers not at the Olympics it would have been a perfect year to do a little North America versus the world you get to rebuild uh, rebuild our favorite team the young guns team from the World Cup of Hockey I would have loved to have seen that um yeah, uh, I I, uh, I hear you. Um, I enjoyed it. It was 2000. Hard to believe. 22 years ago. <laughs> so long ago. here in Toronto. But I think uh, obviously this would have been too late to put it in place. All I know is I think Mark Osborne was doing Leafs Nation with me. And we, for whatever reason, we had the All-Star game. And we did pregame intermissions of that last game that was, what, 1917 that Whatever the score was, yep. and they just said, "Okay, Uncle, we got we can, we cannot do regular games." I mean, the la- like no block shots, no defensive. St- so, so to their credit, um, the, I I think the three on three they they saved they saved the game because the the game uh, whether it was it did seem to have more flair uh, Europe against North America, but man, the regulation type game it was getting less and less less like a real NHL game. So they had to do something. Yeah, I don't mind the three on three at all. And and the thing I I think the thing we always need to remind ourselves of, and I'm really talking about myself because I complain too much, is if you're complaining about the All Star game, it's not for you. It's it's just not like it is not for me. It's for my one year old son who doesn't even know what's going on. It's for the kids out there. It's for the sponsors. Have some fun and and definitely do it. Um, just another thing that popped into my head, and I'm sure there is some CBA reason for this. Whatever happened to the team skills competitions? I remember Freddie Modine winning hardest shot for the entirety of my youth in this town. It feels like we always used to do it. The blue and white, Sundin captain one team, Cujo would captain another. I'm sure there's something to do with the CBA, and you have to give guys days off. And I get it, I get it. But, man, uh, I loved when the teams had their own individual skills contests. And I wish there was a way we could bring that back. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, Trevor Kidd. Remember, remember, he's the goaltender that got hurt for the Florida Panthers. And yep. yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's something they'll do again or whatever, or, or if, did it become about injuries, what have you? But that was that was a fun one. That was a fun one for sure. 
Yeah, Freddie Modine burned into my brain. Uh, hardest, hardest shot uh, from from uh, my youth. There, uh, a few other things I, I want to throw at you. Uh, Marley's Marley's action. Now, now I mentioned Nick Robertson was back practicing. Had a little little dust up at practice, and uh, he's already back on the score sheet. Scored a pair of goals in just his second game back from a broken leg. Uh, I don't think he's a factor for the team this year. I think the only way he changes anything for the Leafs this season is if he's involved in a trade, and I don't expect that. But th- it's just huge for this guy. He looked like he was on the cusp of making the team a couple of years ago has had injuries has had covid has had other things happen and uh, i'm thrilled for him that he was able to get back because he's going to be an important player for the leafs again not this year but in the years to come they need guys like him to play relatively important minutes on cheap cheap deals yeah and and um the forgotten player and i don't mean that in a denigrating way it's just been like you say i mean he played that game against Columbus in the bubble, and people were surprised. Nick Robertson's going to play a playoff game, but that's the kind of spark he, sh- he showed. And when we watched him play in, in a series that lacks spark, right, uh, yeah. we um, we certainly enjoyed it. And and uh, yeah, let's hope let's hope he gets healthy. That's really really encouraging to see that. Let's let's hope. Let's hope he's got all his injuries out of his way early in his career and has a, kind of a Keith Yandel type run at it for a while. Or, or a Jason Robertson type run at it. Yes, I'll take that as right. well, right? His brother killing it uh, for, for the stars. Uh, absolutely thrilled uh, to see him there. Uh, a couple other things just as we wrap up. Uh, Olympics, obviously, in full swing. Uh, women's national team, they're in action tonight uh, just after 11 o'clock. The men, they open the tournament Thursday morning against Germany. The big thing I'm looking for with the men, Eric Stahl. This is a tryout for him. I firmly believe if he looks good, he's going to catch on with some team. I, I don't know that it's here. I don't know that the Leafs need a center, although I, I, I guess you can never have too many of those. If he wants to be Jason Spezza 2.0, that's just fine with me. But it uh, feels like Eric Stahl's really trying to use this as a launching pad to getting back in the NHL. Yeah, and Owen Power and a few others, you know, it's just kind of neat. We know a few of them that'll be part of it. And when they put the jersey on, uh, whoever's, uh, whoever's wearing it uh, will end up cheering for them. So I'm with you. Um, the women's hockey, uh, I just wish it wasn't so. I'm so uh, in, mm-hmm. in awe about how they dominate both Team Canada and Team USA. You wish there were some other one or two powers that are more competitive. But uh, uh, we'll look forward to them playing each other. And to follow that as well. So I'm, and also I like my curling, right? So I'm watching the mix curling right now too. I got to be honest. Yeah. Not right this second, I mean, but you know. Gord, I've been all over the mix curling. I may have been talking with our technical director about the mix curling as we got ready for today's show. So I am right, right there with you. Love that we got a little curling talk in. Come on, Morris and Holman. Get it done for Canada. They need a win. They need a win. All right. Back to the Leafs. Uh, Gordo, as I mentioned, busy, busy week coming up for the Leafs. Three games. Uh, we'll be back with a post-game pod tomorrow. Gordo, always fun talking to you. Yeah, let's get at her. Let's get at her three games this week, uh, and we will have uh, one of them for you, the Saturday game on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Post-game pods after every Leafs game here with the Leafs Nation feed. Gordo, thanks so much. Dutch, behind the scenes, thank you. But most importantly, thank you for listening. It's been the Leafs this week.